Well, hello, church. I hope you are all well. Uh, I'm delighted to have the chance to come together with you and worship together, even while we're all quarantined. I hope you're safe uh, and continuing to stay quarantined as we abide by the government regulations. Even though we desperately would love to see you, we know that God has indicated that we should, in fact, right now stay home. So we honor that uh, and we try to stay safe and we will pray for you. And so let's open this service by asking God to bless us. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for all the blessings in our lives, Lord. I thank you that you have kept our people safe so far. Lord, I ask you that you continue to bless them and keep them safe and protect them wherever they are, Lord. And now, Father, we ask you that as we come together to worship, we know that we worship you in spirit and in truth. We don't have to be physically present, Lord. Because you've made it quite clear that when we worship you, that is a worship that takes place through our spirit. And so, Father, we bow before your throne. We ask you that you anoint the message that we hear today, that it be your message inspired by the Holy Spirit. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The uh, title of my message today is, It is Not Just a Bowl of Lentils. Uh, now, it's meant to put a smile on your face, but I think most of you will reflect back to your Sunday school days and remember the incident between Jacob and Esau, where Esau sells his birthright to his twin brother Jacob for a bowl of lentils. And I'm sure you, like me, were disturbed by that, uh, that, that God could allow the actual sale of the birthright for a bowl of lentils. Uh, and so I have reflected on this over the years and have prayed about it. I think it's appropriate now for a message like this. And that's why I've entitled the message, It's Not Just a Bowl of Lentils. And so this is a story uh, about two men who are twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, uh, who have two completely different perspectives on life two completely different characteristics. Uh, one of the characteristics, that's the characteristics of Esau, effectively reflect the human condition, the human spirit, uh, the flesh in every possible way. And in our flesh, we know that no good thing resides in our flesh. Uh, that is why we thank God that we have been saved and delivered from our flesh. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 7. Verse 14, I want you to read what the Apostle Paul says about the flesh. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For, I, for what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. This is an amazing admission by... Uh, the greatest evangelist the world would ever know, the Apostle Paul, telling you his own flesh as it drags him down. 
Um, and so this is a story about our flesh uh, and about how God wants to deliver us from our flesh. And so the point that you need to understand that that very flesh that Paul spoke about was existing in the world from the time of the Garden of Eden uh, and Satan's uh, intervention into this world. And you remember what Satan said, uh, the admission of Satan, when he spoke about what his desires were. And that, that's found uh, in Isaiah 14. You can turn your Bible there. Isaiah 14, verse 12. And this is Isaiah uh, speaking here. And the, pro the prophecy talks about what he said. Verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. There it is. That's the kind of psychology and mentality that Satan would have. I, 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 I will ascend to the heavens. I will be like God in every way. And so the flesh mimics that kind of spirit. If the flesh effectively says, I don't need God. I can be self-sufficient in my own way. I'm a talented, independent person. I don't have to rely on God. And that's exactly the opposite of what's God, what God's will is for us as the people of God. And so it is that very satanic ambition that perpetuates itself in our lives and keeps us apart from Christ. And so God is at war from generation to generation over this satanic principle. Now, we're going to get some light on the story that we have in front of us today on Jacob and Esau. If you turn to Genesis 25 beginning with verse 29. And I'm going to move around here in the reading because I'm trying to distill this story over one message. So Genesis 25, verse 29, speaking about the background of Jacob and Esau. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, and remember now they're twin brothers, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Here it is right out of scriptures. Uh, so Esau described his, his virtue, his, his birthright. So this is not a story just about the bowl of lentils. It's far deeper than that. It's much more profound and has significant spiritual overtones. And so you see here, Esau comes in exhausted and famished. Uh, and we're going to uh, hear later that Esau was a man who was uh, a man's man. He, had, he liked to be out hunting. 
uh, and fishing and taking care of his own uh, things that he needed. And so he comes in and he needs something to eat and says to his brother, give me something to eat. The exchange tells us a great deal about the character of both of these men. Esau betrays his character for instant gratification. And this is so much like humanity today uh, without God. Uh, we want instant pleasure. Uh, we want instant wealth, instant popularity. Whatever it is, we want it now. Uh, and, and Jacob, rather, is an example of a person who can live with delayed gratification, who has some degree of patience as he waits to get what, what he thinks he's entitled to. So now, what was this birthright uh, that Esau despised uh, and that Jacob was about to inherit? What is this birthright? Well, you see, the birthright uh, was the promise that God had given to Abraham that through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And the best example of indicating uh, how important that is, is the Apostle Paul, and he does this in Galatians chapter 3, if you would open your Bibles to that passage. Galatians chapter 3, uh, uh, verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, quote, and to seeds, end quote, meaning many people, but, quote, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What a, what a fantastic uh, translation of this whole issue is. As you see here, Paul indicating that a covenant with God, a covenant of, of God to the people of God is an immutable promise. It will never be broken. And so when God said to Abraham, uh, your seed will bless the entire world, uh, what he meant there is that your seed would effectively be Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so as we see here, Abraham would be the first in the lineage uh, that would eventually be Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so the birthright was to be part of that lineage. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Esau repudiated it. Uh, he, he despised it. He, he didn't think that he needed it. He was outside of God's will. Uh, and so what we see here is that the birthright uh, was God preparing in the person of Jesus Christ uh, the fact that, that a man would be molded all over again when Christ would come to this world. It was through Christ that God would remake humanity. It was through Christ that God would remake the Jewish people. But Esau is saying here effectively, uh, I have all that it takes to be a man. I am self-sufficient. I do not need any outside help. Uh, and this basic lie 
is perpetuated by Satan. Make no mistake about it. And so in Esau, the spirit of Satan was incarnated. What do I need of a birthright restoring me uh, upon God? I'm independent. I'm self-sufficient. I can take care of myself in every possible way. And in a worldly context today, we see this described often in terms of what you see in the world. Uh, Esau was a hunter, a man's man. Uh, He was muscular. He had a a hairy countenance. Uh, He could go out into the forest and carve his own way. On the other hand, Jacob might be described uh, as a sissy, uh, as his mother's pet. He stayed home and helped her with the cooking. Uh, He took care of events around around the house. He was more of a domestic person. Uh, In fact, we know, theologians tell us, that uh, Rebecca, his mother, did not even let him have a a girlfriend, uh, a relationship with a woman, until he was 70 years old. Uh, Extraordinary, actually. Uh, And so the incident tells us a lot about one's value of spiritual things. If we understand that the birthright needs to be understood in a spiritual light, uh, then we begin to understand what took place with that bowl of lentils. Esau effectively values the stew more than the birthright, while Jacob values the birthright, frankly, more than his own integrity, as he will defraud his brother to get it. And the scripture says it that we've already read that Esau despised his birthright. Now, this is going on right in front of God. God sees it. But remember this, you know, God understood even before Jacob and Esau were created what would take place because he has foreknowledge. And so as some time goes by here in this story, the deception by Jacob does not end with the lentils uh, because we know that he's a liar and a schemer. That's what he is. And so now his father, Isaac, is about 135 years old. He is bedridden. He is blind. Uh, But he says to Esau, and Rebekah hears it through the walls of the house, he says to Esau, go out and kill a deer, bring back some venison so that I may eat it and bless you and give you your blessing, and then I will die. Now, when she heard this, uh, she went into action. Uh, because you see, Rebecca had remembered the prophecy of God uh, and, and what the Lord had spoken to her. Now, open your Bibles again to Genesis 25. I want you to look now at verse 19. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and the wife and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So I want you to stop right now and get a, a sense of what's going on here. Uh, In the midst of her pregnancy, she's disturbed because she can feel the fetuses effectively wrestling with each other in her womb. Extraordinary. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other 
and the older will serve the younger. So let's understand this. Effectively, God is telling her that prophetically, uh, there are two nations in your womb. One is Israel, and we know later that the other is Edom. Edom will always be an enemy of Israel. And the older, the older will serve the younger. Well, what does that mean? Well, verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Uh, I'm always amused by the ages of these people when they uh, give birth uh, and, and are fathers. Extraordinary. So he's 60 years old. But the point of it is, God is telling her, these two boys will effectively be at war with each other. They will be disparate in every way, and they will represent two nations. And as the, and the older will serve the younger. And so Rebecca remembers this, even to the point that Jacob, as a, a, a fetus, as he's coming out of the birth canal, is grabbing onto the heel of Esau. Uh, and so it's an extraordinary picture. And so here you see uh, Isaac telling Esau, go out, get the venison and come back and I will give you a blessing. And so she remembers this prophecy. And so she, go she goes into action because uh, she doesn't want Esau to get the blessing. She believes that she has to intervene on behalf of God so that Jacob gets the blessing. That's another message, not today about what happens when, when we think we need to intervene on behalf of God. God doesn't need our intervention, all right? Uh, but we're not gonna talk about that today. The subject of this message is not on that. So now she makes Jacob go out uh, and get a goat skin with hair on it, put it on his arm. She makes Jacob go on and put his, his brother's clothing on uh, after he'd come in from the woods, smelling like a guy who had been out in the woods. And so now he goes to the father with, with this garment on, with this hair of a goat on his arm, uh, and he says to the father, I am Esau, give me the blessing, and the father touches the arm, yes, I can feel it, uh, yes, I can smell it, and he gives him the blessing, denying the blessing from uh, Esau. Well, we can tell you that a short time later, Esau, Esau will come in and seek that blessing, and the father will say, I only have one blessing, it's done. Uh, and let me tell you, there's enmity in that house. Uh, Jacob will have to uh, leave that family and, and stay away for 20 years uh, because of that. But let's go down and look at Jacob's name. His name was uh, meant twister or cheater or schemer. That was the nature of his name. He was all those things. He was as good as his name. He was a liar. Um, and, and he was crooked. He lied to his father. He lied to his brother. He double-crossed his brother. And so he was a sneak, and purely from a human point of view, Esau had no love for his brother, and you could understand why. Uh, Esau had effectively persuaded himself that religion was the weakling's crutch. He didn't need uh, religion, and if there ever was a man that needed a crutch, it was Jacob, his brother. And so Esau had no time for the birthright. He didn't feel he needed the birthright. Uh, and so being completely independent and self-sufficient, uh, he, he moved on without the birthright. Now, I want to read a passage 
Uh, in the last book of the, of the Old Testament, it's found in Malachi. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. I want, want you to read this. Uh, and there, and this is it, the word of God. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins, but this is what the Lord Almighty said. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. Uh, and we know prophetically that that's exactly what's happened. Uh, that that uh, Esau's uh, ancestry was through Edom. And Edom was always an enemy of the people of God. Uh, and so you see here how uh, God foretold and knew that Esau was not the man to be receiving the blessing. And so he despised the birthright. Of course God would repudiate him. When, when God, that birthright meant that that was a repudiation of Jesus Christ. And you know, that's the, the un, an unforgivable sin. When you repudiate Jesus Christ, you are effectively putting your fist in the face of God. And so God can do nothing for the man who is eaten up with the spirit of Esau. Uh, the sad thing is that, e, that even a Christian today um, may be so impressed with his own characteristics and talents uh, that he falls victim to this sin. When we get to the point when we elevate our own importance and our own ability to direct our lives, uh, we may also despise the birthright of God. But the amazing thing, the amazing thing, and that's the lesson for today, is that God could do something for Jacob the cheat, while he could do nothing for Esau. Uh, and although men might legitimately despise Jacob, uh, they did not despise him any more than Jacob despised himself. So Jacob knew what he was. And so the lesson for us is that God can begin with a man when a man comes to the place of total despair, when a man ceases to be impressed with himself, ceases to be impressed with where he is in life, ceases to be impressed with his talents and gifts and recognize that everything that he is Everything that is poured into his life is a gift of God by the grace of God. Uh, and when a man does that and bows before the throne of God, then at that point, God can begin to do something with that man. God clearly preferred to bring the blessings of Abraham to Jacob rather and his offspring rather than through Esau. Now, based on this story, uh, it's pretty obvious that neither Jacob nor Esau uh, had sterling character. Uh, God did not choose Jacob over Esau because Jacob was such a great guy. Uh, Jacob was not a great guy. Jacob did not have sterling character, and yet God, God would work with him. But the seminal moment in that life is when God, through an angel of the Lord, would wrestle with him, and we'll talk about that. And so Jacob will flee the home of his father and spend 20 years, 20 years away from that house. Uh, and on the way back, recognizing that it was time to go back and fearing that his brother Esau would be coming uh, to kill him because he had been given that warning, he sends his, his two wives ahead. 
and, and, and so he remains alone waiting for Esau to come and meet with him. And then the Bible says that some seemingly unknown person began to wrestle with Jacob all night long. Uh, and we know that effectively this is Jacob as he is opening his heart to God, beginning to open to God, showing his despair. And so the angel of the Lord is now wrestling with Jacob uh, and trying to break him down uh, to recognize that he is, his character is outside of the will of God. And so the angel of the Lord wrestles with him all night. And now it's the breaking of the day. And so when the angel saw that he was not prevailing against Jacob, finally he said, let him go. Uh, let me go because the daylight is coming. And he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, which crippled him, which crippled him, which effectively meant he could never walk right again. Uh, and it was that crippling that Esau saw, which touched his heart when, he, when they met. Uh, and he uh, did not kill his brother. And so as the angel touched his thigh, crippled him, he said to Jacob, what is your name? Uh, and, and in Old Testament times, effectively what that meant is, what is your character? That is what God's saying. Who are you? Who stands before me? What is the character of the person that stands before me? Uh, and Jacob replied, I am Jacob, meaning I'm a liar. I'm a schemer. I'm despicable. Uh, but the angel said, based on the fact that Jacob had, had wrestled and had asked God to bless him uh, and effectively had now bowed before the throne of God, the angel said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel, which means prince. Uh, for you have striven with God and with men and you have prevailed, meaning you have come to recognize that you need to ask God to forgive you for who you are, that you need to bow before the throne of God, that you no, no longer will rely on your mental abilities uh, and your uh, personal characteristics to scheme and supplant, but instead, instead will bow before the throne of God. And so he blessed him right there. And so that was the confirmation of the birthright right there that it started with the bowl of lentils and it now come through to the very fact that God through an angel of the Lord uh, is blessing him. Uh, and so here's the thing. God knew all this from the beginning of time in his foreknowledge uh, and he approved of it. He knew who Esau would be and what his character would be. He knew what Jacob would be uh, and what his character would be. And so God really in the great parade of life, allows this to happen as we come face to face with who we are. Uh, and so Jacob stating his name, uh, effectively asking God to forgive him for what he was, he had become a great blessing and he would be in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus Christ. Uh, and we know that Jacob's one of Jacob's children would be Joseph. Joseph, who effectively would become the prime minister of Egypt and who would bring the Egyptian, the uh, Hebrew people uh, when they were starving and bring them into Egypt to allow them to live for 400 years, whereupon Moses would then come and take them out of captivity. So now here's the point. God did not love Saul of Tarsus uh, for his standing by and consenting to the death of Stephen. 
God did not love Saul for his flesh at that time or what he was or the character that he displayed. Uh, he did not love him as he went on his way to Damascus uh, to enslave those Christians who were worshiping God and Jesus Christ as he breathed out threatenings and slaughter. He didn't love him there, but rather God loved Saul for what he would become. Uh, and that's the thing. That's, that's what Paul has written here. God loves us for what he will make of us. Right? He knows our character, and we all have warts and failings and shortcomings. But when we recognize that we're not self-sufficient, that we're not independent, that we're nowhere unless we rely on God, that's the beginning when God can remake us, where he can take your very personality and mold it in a way that will ultimately glorify God. Esau never admitted his need. Uh, and so Jacob wanted everything that he could get from God. And though, although it took 20 years, 20 years uh, for him to enter into the fullness of that purpose, eventually God could begin with him. And that's another part of this story. Uh, Jacob at this point now uh, is probably 90 years old. Um, and recognizing that he had to get to the age of 90 uh, before God could effectively break him and he would recognize the failings of his life and that he, he needed God. Well, that's how it is with some of us. Some of us will wait till we're at the deathbed uh, before we bow before the throne of God. We don't want that. We want to be able to have a life that exhorts God and lifts God up in every possible way. Uh, and that's one of the blessings that we have uh, even in our church, that we have so many opportunities to do that. And so this is a great story for us to remember uh, in our own lives. Uh, I will change your name. You will now be called Israel, the Prince of God. So this is the lesson about the bowl of lentils. Uh, God can take the most miserable elements of humanity and make a prince out of them. Uh, we need to get down on our knees and tell God who we really are, to confess him about the shortcomings that we are. And so the question I have for you today is have you truly ever called yourself by your own name? Have you truly kneeled before God and said, Lord, change me. Help me to be more like what you want me to be. Help me to address these shortcomings in my life. Help me to recognize God, that you are God and I am just man in every possible way. And if you do that, you will be blessed and God will change your name forever. Remember this, it's not just a bowl of lentils. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for the message that you've given us. I thank you for the lessons of Jacob, Father, that permeate down through, through the centuries to us today and are still true, how man will always try to elevate himself and will never really bow to you, Father in flesh. But Lord, we ask you now as we sacrifice our flesh before your throne, Father, and bow in submission before your throne, remake us in your perfect will, God. Remake us so that we can serve you and elevate your name to a world that is lost. Father, this is an important message for us today, and we ask you to intervene in every possible way, Lord. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
God bless you, church.